The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, it is indeed a pleasure to be with you again this morning, and uh, it's kind of a, a special treat for me in that uh, I have my two boys with me. We don't get to be in church uh, together nearly as much, uh, and of course, they would probably tell you about all those times I drug them to church when they were little. And, uh, you know, they, they, they probably thought we lived there, and that was probably true. And then I'll also make the rest of you feel better. Uh, I can't remember the name of that uh, chemical, but there's a chemical in Turkey that makes you sleepy. So if any of you doze off this morning, I'll know that's why. It, you still got a little leftover turkey, right? If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 6. And uh, I thought this was appropriate right after uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, and many of you will recognize uh, John chapter 6 as a very familiar passage. There's a game show that uh, I like to see whenever I can. Uh, whenever I can catch it, I watch it. It comes on every night. It's called Jeopardy. And if you uh, know this show, you know that it's just the opposite of most game shows. On Jeopardy, the answer is given, and then the, the uh, exercise that the contestants are to be involved in is once the answer is given, they have to ask the question. So this morning, I want to play a little game and give you the answer and see if you can ask the question. Here is the answer. The feeding of the 5,000. I should have downloaded that music to play, right? Nobody knows the question to the feeding of the 5,000? Well, here's the correct question. The correct question is, what is the only miracle that Jesus performed that is recorded in all four of the Gospels? Now, every miracle that Jesus performed was a mighty, marvelous, meaningful miracle. But this miracle must have been especially significant because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all felt they ought to include it in their Gospels. And this miracle, perhaps more than any other miracle Jesus ever performed, illustrates the truth that Jesus is what you need. Uh, the miracle takes place on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, just below the Golan Heights, directly across from the Mount of Beatitudes. <clears throat> and Jesus has traveled all the way across the sea to try and get some rest and relief. He had kind of just started his public ministry and it was catching on. And everywhere he went, the crowds were getting bigger and bigger. And by now there was a, a, a multitude that was following him relentlessly and they were following for various reasons. Some people wanted to listen. Some wanted to learn. Others wanted to look. And there were a few who wanted to love. It had been a long day. And now the stomachs were growling. And it was time to eat. The twelve disciples were faced with what was an unenviable task of trying to feed 5,000 men. Now this doesn't include the women and the children. And the disciples were convinced 
that they had just been given mission impossible. And Jesus uses this to teach one of life's great lessons, one of his great lessons. The first thing I want you to notice here is that there was a serious lack as they got ready to recognize the problem that was there. There was a severe shortage of two items that day. And one shortage was obvious, the other shortage wasn't. Here's the first one. The crowd lacked food. Now, I'd already told you there was a huge crowd. They gathered on a, a grassy knoll. They were uh, probably uh, uh, looking at the, the shiny, simmering sea behind them, and in front of them, Jesus would have been on a hill. And Jesus tells us in verse 10 that there were 5,000 men. Matthew tells us that there were also women and children. Now, biblical scholars conservatively estimate that this could have been a crowd that would have numbered around 20,000 people. So a good-sized crowd. And every one of them is hungry. Now, as wonderful as the sermon was, it was getting on past 12 o'clock. And everybody wanted to eat. My wife asked me all the time, uh, uh, are you hungry? And I'll say, it's dinner time, it's time to eat, right? The disciples were convinced that this was an almost impossible situation for them. But the crowd that's pictured there is a picture of every person without the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whether a person even knows it or not, there's a hunger in the heart that only Jesus can satisfy. Henry David Thoreau once says, the mass of men lived lives of quiet desperation. This crowd that day was desperate for food. It's interesting to me because I see a world today that's desperately trying to satisfy a hunger with substitutes. I'm not talking about just a physical hunger for food. I'm talking about people are hungry. And because they're hungry for something that's missing in their life, some are trying pills, some are trying possessions, some are trying uh, positions, some are trying uh, to see how popular they can get, some are, are yearning for prestige. But the hunger that can only be satisfied by a person, and that person is Jesus, is the hunger that I'm talking about. So the crowd lacked food. That morphs right into the second thing that was lacking that day. The disciples lacked faith. You'll see in verses 5 and 6, it says, Therefore when Jesus looked up and noticed a large crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus asked Philip a rhetorical question. He really wasn't asking Philip where to buy food because he already knew where he was going to get the food. He knew what he was going to do. He was testing Philip, and Philip flunked the test royally. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. Philip gets out his calculator, and he begins to figure how much food was going to be needed and how much money it was going to cost to feed this large crowd. Now, a denarian was a little 
silver coin commonly used in the time of Jesus. It was usually the equivalent of a full day's work. If you worked, you were paid a denarian. So Philip had calculated a full day's work in the vineyard. And then he said, it's going to take 200 days' work, 200 days' wages of an average working man to feed this crowd. In the day's money, it probably would have been uh, roughly uh, $17,000 to give that crowd something to eat. So Philip looked at his person, then he looked at his purse, and then he quickly figured out, first of all, even if we had the money, there's no place near here to buy any food. Secondly, if there was a place to buy food, we certainly don't have enough money to pay for it. And if we had a place and the money, there's not enough time to feed this many people. If there was enough time where everybody could get a little bit of food, that would be one thing, but he's saying, I couldn't even feed the crowd in the time we have left. So Philip looks at the size of the crowd. He looks at the sum of his money, and he just shrugs his shoulders and looks at Jesus and says, impossible. Then Andrew comes onto the scene. Now Andrew was uh, running his fingers over his calculator and uh, instead of just thinking what they couldn't afford, he decided he'd go off and start looking for food. And he finds a little boy who brought a lunch of five loaves of barley and two small fish. And he wasn't too proud of his catch. It says there was a boy in verse 9 who had five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? Jesus, I looked, and this is all I could find. Andrew looked at the size of the crowd. Now, Philip had said it's impossible. Andrew looked at the crowd and said it's illogical. Now, the reason why there was a, a failure in Philip's faith and a flaw in Andrew's faith is because both of them had done their calculations and their searching without Christ in the picture. And you know, we do the same thing all the time, don't we? When it comes to where we're getting at the end of the month and we've got uh, more bills than we do what's in our bank account, our response is, how am I going to pay my bills? And we always think that way first instead of praying and lifting it up to Jesus. When we're witnessing to someone, we're always worrying, what am I going to say? Or do we pray and listen to Jesus? If your home were to have a disaster, would you think, where am I going to stay? Or would you pray and leave it to Jesus? Now, I bring all that up because I'm convinced that day Jesus was far more grieved over the lack of faith he saw among his followers than he was the lack of food. Because nothing pleases God like faith. Nothing pains God like doubt. I believe Jesus was especially grieved because he had had these guys with him and he'd given them every reason to have faith. He'd never given them a reason to doubt him. I mean, these were, these were the guys who were with Jesus when he turned the water into wine. They were with Jesus when he'd healed the nobleman's son. They had seen Jesus uh, tell a man to take up his bed and walk. 
And yet they still needed the faith of a, a mountain to move a mustard seed. They still didn't get it. It's so frustrating to perfectly illustrate a point time and time again. And yet people still don't seem to understand. A Sunday school teacher was trying to get her kids to understand the dangers that were involved with the drinking of alcohol. So one day she went to class and she pulled out some earthworm, earthworms she dug up and she dropped the earthworms into the water. And those worms just kind of settled down into the water and wiggled around and seemed to be having a wonderful time. And then to further the lesson, she took a couple more earthworms and dropped them into a glass of alcohol. And it wasn't long before those two earthworms just curled up and died. Then she looked at the little boys and girls and she says, now what does this teach us? And one little boy spoke up and said, I know what it teaches us. If you have worms, drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> See, sometimes folks just don't get it. Sometimes they miss it. But I want you to remember something. Whenever any of us doubt God, we're saying one of two things. You're either saying something is impossible or you're saying something is illogical. That's what Philip and Andrew did that day. The next time you think something is impossible, remember this. These are the words of Jesus in Luke 18, 27. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And the next time you think something's illogical, remember what it says in Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, what seems ridiculous to us as men is always reasonable with God. You see, every problem we have is an opportunity for us to believe God and for us to allow God to bless us. But so many times we forget that. So there was a serious lack that day. But in the, also, there was a selfless lad. Even though all of the four Gospels mention the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, only John tells us about the little boy who gave his lunch. Now, I believe this little boy must have been very special to John. I'll tell you why. First of all, he saw in this little boy a fellow who shared. What the little fellow had brought was barely enough to feed himself. See, when we think about loaves, we typically think about a, a, a loaf of bread, such as we would buy at a grocery store. What these were were barley loaves. Barley would have been what poor people cooked with. They couldn't have afford, afforded uh, a more expensive grain. And so what he had was like five little wafers. In my mind, they were like uh, saltine crackers. Here's this po' boy. He had his uh, saltine crackers, and he had two little fish that would have been about the size of sardines. That's all he had, but he shared it. Now, notice what he transferred to Christ was transformed by Christ. Christ can only transform what is transferred. What the little boy had was valuable because it was available. Secondly, he cared. He didn't have to give his saltines and sardines. Nobody made him. He could have said, look, it's every man for himself. I'm a poor little boy. 
I, I, I rarely have enough to eat. This is barely enough for me to have lunch. And so he could have said, I'm going to keep it. I, I remember growing up, uh, usually on Sunday, if we were lucky, we'd get a, a fried chicken. Uh, Mama would cut up a whole chicken and she would fry it. Now here was a bad thing. If we had company, that meant we couldn't reach for a piece of chicken until the company had a piece of chicken. So usually we got a bad piece of chicken. There were several Sundays I got a back or something like that because the company got the good chicken. Now, we couldn't complain about that, but I had two brothers, and what we'd fight over is we'd fight over the last biscuit. So we'd fight over a piece of bread. This young guy could have kept it to himself, but his caring for people led to his sharing. You can share without caring, but you can't share. You can't care without sharing. This little boy cared. He cared. We're in a society where people have forgotten to care. We tend to look out for number one. I so appreciate the things that you're doing for the community. People tend not to think about doing anything except for what helps themselves. But the little fellow also dared. He dared to believe that uh, Jesus could perform a miracle. And he believed Jesus could do a miracle when nobody else believed Jesus was going to do a miracle. Here were 12 full-grown men who were disciples who'd seen Jesus do miracle after miracle. And here was one little boy who probably still, he probably didn't have peach fuzz on his face yet. But he was the one who had enough faith in Jesus to believe that Jesus could do a miracle. One area in which we all ought to remain just like a child is in this area of faith. Do you know what's wrong with many Christians today? When it comes to faith, a lot of us have gotten too big for our britches. I heard about a little girl who was uh, walking in her home, and uh, we don't have many homes in our area that have basements, but she lived in an area where they had a, a basement and it was a, a, a cellar, actually. And she came to a place, and she saw that the cellar door was open. I mean, it had been laid back. It was open. And she looked down into the cellar, and all she could see was just a dark hole in the floor. There wasn't any light on in the basement. And then she heard a noise. So the little girl said, who's that down there? And her daddy said, it's me, your daddy. She says, well, daddy, I want to come down there where you are. He said, well, honey, I've taken away the ladder, but if you'll jump, I'll catch you. Now, Daddy could see her because he was looking up towards the light. His eyes had gotten accustomed to the dark, but she couldn't see him down in the dark. So she said, Daddy, I can't see you. He said, that's all right, honey, I can see you. You just go ahead and jump. Oh, Daddy, I'm afraid. He said, wait a minute, sweetheart. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that I'm here? She says, of course I believe you're there. I'm talking to you. He says, all right, if you believe I'm here, do you believe I'm strong enough to catch you? She says, oh, Daddy, you've caught me several times. I know you're strong enough to catch me. He says, all right, do you believe I love you? She says, oh, yes, Daddy, I know you love me. Now he said, now let me ask you one more question. Have I ever told you a lie? She said, no, Daddy, you've never lied to me. He said, all right, if you know I'm here and you know I love you 
and you know I'm strong enough to catch you, and you know I've never told you a lie, then jump. She says, okay, Daddy, here I come. And she jumped off into that black hole. Of course, her daddy caught her, gave her a little hug, and sat her down. That's the kind of faith a lot of people are missing. That's the kind of faith that little boy had. I, I heard these words used several years ago, and they've always stuck in, the, in my mind. The childlike faith that little boy had to give his lunch, he gave without equivocation, reservation, or hesitation. You know, Jesus had a, a sense of humor. Just to rub the disciples' nose in this thing, remember how many baskets were left over? Twelve. They didn't have enough money. They couldn't find anybody with any food. But this little boy came forward, and then there were twelve baskets left over. It started with what a little boy could have folded in a napkin, and now twelve baskets are left over. You know what that tells me? It's illustrated in Luke 6:38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You will not, you shall not, you cannot outgive God. It amazes me what I see in society today. Uh, when I grew up and I became a Christian, I, I got two things pretty quickly, especially when I got old enough to really start getting serious about growing in my relationship with Christ. I got, I was supposed to go to church, and I got, I was supposed to give my money. I mean, that was something that came quick to me. I was supposed to show up on Sunday. I was supposed to give my money. You know where we struggle more today than anywhere else? With people showing up on a regular basis and with people giving their money. Now, what should we learn at this particular point? We ought to learn two things. First of all, y'all never doubt what God can do. God's in the miracle business. Never deny what God asks you to give him because he's in the multiplication business. So as far as a hungry crowd, hopeless disciples, and a helpful boy, we need one more thing, and that's a sovereign God. Now, this is a familiar story. It is a wonderful story. But John didn't record miracles just to tell us a wonderful story. Jesus never performed miracles just to show off. No, the lesson of the loaves runs much deeper than feeding 20,000 people and having 12 baskets of food left over. Now, there's a clue to the deeper meaning, and you find it in verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and also with the fish, as much as they wanted. The Greek word there for uh, giving thanks is where we get our word Eucharist. Eucharist is a term for the Lord's Supper. It's the same word Jesus used when he blessed the bread at the Lord's Supper. You know what that means? That means that Jesus, when he blessed what was before him at the feeding of the 5,000, was a picture of Jesus himself. Jesus performed that miracle just to show people and to illustrate that he's the bread of life. And I know that's true because look what he says down in verse 35. And Jesus told them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. 
He who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, this miracle is not just about material bread that's breaked in an earthly mother's oven to meet physical needs. It's about our spiritual needs being met through the bread of life that was given us by the Heavenly Father. And when we learn that and we start understanding that Jesus is the bread of life, we move the step in our progression as a believer. But this is a sovereign God who's the source of life. Jesus didn't perform the miracle to satisfy physical hunger. He didn't perform the miracle just to slake spiritual thirst. He did it to make the people who were spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty realize they could turn to him to have their needs met. See, what Jesus was doing was more than just a Passover picnic. Notice uh, what the crowd says when you get down in verses 25 and 26 and 27 of John 6. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you were looking for me because you saw the signs, because of the loaves and everybody that was filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that lasts for eternal life. Look for that food, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal of approval on him. And they still didn't get it either. They didn't understand that Jesus had not just come to keep their stomachs from growling. Jesus came to keep their souls from perishing. He wanted to understand, he wanted them to understand that he was the source of all true life. We also see that he's the supply of life. That we do understand here thousands of years later that it wasn't the lad that fed the crowd that day. It wasn't the disciples that fed the crowd. It was Jesus that fed the crowd. The disciples had to keep coming back to Jesus after he blessed it to get food to pass out to the crowd, to get more fish, because Jesus was the source and supply of the food. Likewise, Jesus Christ is the source and supply of true life. Why do you think Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? See, Jesus isn't interested in just adding years to our lives. Jesus has come to add life to our years. And without the Lord Jesus, the fact of the matter is, you really don't have life. You might have existence, but you don't have life. Jesus also was teaching us he's the sufficiency of life. It's estimated that it would have taken tons of food to feed that crowd. In light of that, listen again to what it says in verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. Do you see that they ate all they wanted? Nobody went away hungry. Now, what does that tell us? Jesus is sufficient for all we want, for all we need. That's what he's trying to teach us. Now, they got all they wanted that day. And I want to tell you, likewise, that's exactly how much of God you can have right now, all you want. Then he's the satisfaction of life. Verse 12 tells us when they were full, 
That means when they were satisfied. When they didn't want anything else to eat. When they didn't want anything else to drink. But they wouldn't have been filled without Jesus. And see how that sheds light on verse 35. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now remember, nobody could eat another bite. And yet, there were 12 baskets left over. You know what that tells me? Jesus is what you need. He's more than you need. There's not a problem he can't solve. There's not a hunger he can't satisfy. There's not a, a thirst he can't slay. There's not a hurt he can't heal. There's not a question he can't answer. I don't remember where I ran across this, but it's been around for a long time, and I've always loved it. Jesus is named for every need man has. To the hungry, Jesus is the bread of life. To the thirsty, he's the fountain of living waters. To the sick, he's the balm of Gilead. To the dying, he's the resurrection and the life. To the people in dark, he's the light of the world. To the outcast, he's the friend of sinners. Jesus is the bread of life. And he's what we need. I know it's right after Thanksgiving. And we probably, if you've done what I've done, gorge myself way too much. But I've done that in physical terms. I want to remind you that as we get ready to go into the Christmas season, having just lit the candle that is the hope candle, people for years had been waiting for a Messiah to come. Way back in the Isaiah's time, he had written words about the fact that a Messiah had come. For years they had hoped the Messiah was coming. We now celebrate the fact that Jesus has come. But people are still missing Jesus far too easily. And so Jesus put a little miracle in John chapter 6 that reminds us we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is what you need. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.